0: Merry Christmas. I know that's not politically correct of me. I'm supposed to say happy holidays so as not to offend anybody, but it's my conviction that there is no happy without Jesus, and he's the reason for the holidays, so I'm going to keep saying saying Merry Christmas. And when somebody says happy holidays to me, I'm going to tell them Merry Christmas. But regardless of where you land on the whole vocabulary debate, I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you're a guest with us, what we like to do here at New Anthem is take a book of the Bible or a topic that seems relevant, and then we spend a few weeks exploring what God has to say about those things, and uh, more specifically, how God can change your life in the process of discovering what He has to say about those things. And these past few weeks in December, we've been talking about what God has to say and trying to discover what God has to say about the dysfunctional family Christmas. Because here's the reality. We all have dysfunctional families, right? Just show of hands, how many of you all come from a dysfunctional family? Okay. Yeah. Son, don't put your hand up. Thank you very much for that. That's good. All right. That's, that's exactly what you're supposed to. Uh, if if your hand was not up, you've simply not discovered that what you're experiencing in life is not normal. Uh, what you're experiencing is not what other people are going through. Uh, at some point, you'll get to college and you'll realize that not everybody had to eat hot dogs cut in half with mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes and cheese on top. You know, it was a redneck lasagna, is what we called that. fact, like not everybody has to do that. And uh, one day you'll get married and you'll discover that <clears throat> not everybody eats the center out of brownies because the crust is disgusting, and your wife will get mad every time that you do that. And that's not how you're supposed to eat the brownies, but uh, eventually you'll discover that not everybody is habitually late like your family is, and you'll uh, get obsessed with time and all the things. The point is, we're all dysfunctional on some level, and the way I figure it, we might as well make the best of a bad situation we might as well learn how to put the fun back into dysfunction and to help us with that we've actually been trying to draw some encouragement from jesus's family you should be aware that jesus's family was way more jacked up than yours is Uh, prostitutes murderers liars thieves adulterers cheaters they're all in jesus's family And this family tree stuff is a big deal because in those days, genealogies were way more important than they are today. Uh, Because today, the way you tell somebody who you are is you give them your proverbial life resume. You give them a list of the individual accomplishments and performances that you've done in life. Like, what you know, gives me the credibility to stand on a stage every single week. Well, in third grade, I was Mr. World in our rendition of Earth Day. And in fifth grade, I was Huckleberry Finn in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And in high school, I was Wild Bill Cody in Annie Get Your Gun. You know, I was like, anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Merry Christmas. That's the last time you'll ever hear that, but... Clearly, I'm qualified is what I'm saying, but uh, back then it wasn't your individual accolades that were important, but rather your family's accomplishments that really mattered. And your genealogy was your resume. Your family tree is a way that you could show people who you were. And in fact, there were many kings in actual history who altered their family tree in order to protect its purity. You've heard of King Herod. He's in our Christmas story. King Herod altered his family tree three times. Just wrote people out. Said, nope, you're dead to me. He got to choose his family. He couldn't choose his parents. He got to choose who the rest of his family was. I'm sure some of you wish you had that same power. But here's my question. How do we square the fact that in the ancient world, genealogies defined who you are with the knowledge that Jesus' lineage stems from people who are immoral, corrupt, and dysfunctional. Like, what do we do with that? It's worth answering because a lot of people today are researching their own family tree. They want to know more about their families and their roots and where did they come from and their origins. And people are especially excited if they find out they're related to a famous person. You know, imagine if you discovered you were related to Jeff Bezos. You know, cha-ching, free shipping all day, every day. You know, like richest man in the world, pretty much. Uh, Imagine if you discovered you were related to Michael Jordan, as I am. Uh, That would be an amazing, you know, an amazing thing. Or uh, how about you discovered that there was royalty in your family? You know, imagine if you had royal blood pumping through your veins. That would be exciting. You know, if those jerks, the sons of liberty, hadn't thrown in the tea, you know, on December sixteenth, seventeen seventy-three, you'd be king right now. That would be awesome. But irony, you know, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, as they say. But uh, <laughs> what would be? infinitely less exciting is if you found out your relatives weren't English. They were in fact German. They were responsible for the Holocaust. I don't know that I would be shouting that from the mountaintops and proclaim that as loudly as I would, you know, if I was a descendant of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or something like that. And what I'm trying to help you understand is that the Christmas story that we're about to read, it doesn't begin with the words once upon a time. It's not a fairy tale. It begins instead with something very technical. A genealogy. Why? Because it's a true story. And before you can understand the facts of the birth, you have to understand the facts of the story. Primarily, that Jesus didn't just come for sinners, He came from sinners. You might want to write that down this morning if you're taking notes. Uh, You can't fully understand the meaning of Christmas until you understand that Jesus didn't just come for sinners. He came from sinners. And the reason why Jesus doesn't shy away from the reprehensible people in His family like we would is because He knows that's exactly the kind of people He came to earth to save. People who had literally nothing that they could offer Him besides obedience. And so I won't take time to read the whole genealogy and account that you can find in Matthew chapter 1. But let's look at a few of these verses together. Matthew one one starts out, "...this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham." Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his 11 brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Talk about dysfunctional. Tamar's story we talked about in week one. Verse five says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, the prostitute. We talked about her week two, also dysfunctional. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. She was last week. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Hold up. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, but she's the wife of Uriah? Yeah. David, an adulterer, a murderer, a liar, and a deceiver, who God said was a man after his own heart, fathered a child immorally. And that's in the Bible. Drop down to verse 15. Methan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Notice Joseph is not identified as the father of Jesus, but as the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. So scripture is clear that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. God was, but I still want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the dad of Christmas. That's the title of my message, The Dad of Christmas. I want to talk to you about the dad of Christmas in the context of Joseph, despite him not being Jesus' dad. It's unique, I know, but the way this whole message came about is a little bit unique. Uh, This past Sunday, I was coming home from a a birthday lunch with my family, and uh, Laura needed to finish up some shopping, so I had the kids with me, and we were talking about Christmas and Mary and Joseph and... And uh, all of that. And Lana, she's, she's five. She was telling me how she didn't want to have kids. She said that it was too much work. And she knew that she was born via C-section and she didn't want her legs to have to get sewn back to her body as mom did. And uh, I wouldn't want that either, you know, but uh, it's totally reasonable. Uh, but Leighton, my son, fruit of my loins, you know spoke up almost prophetically. He said, you know, it was a lot of work for dad, too. And I was like, you know what? Thanks, buddy. You're right. It was a lot of... Most people don't see that, but I had to sit there and and see things that can never be unseen. So there was work involved, you know. Uh, But it occurred to me in that moment that at Christmas time, we give a lot of stage time to Mary because she did a lot of the work, but we don't ever really look at Joseph's side of the story. Uh, however, you need to know that Christmas is not a cakewalk for the guys either. Uh, as a matter of fact, I read a story this week about a woman from Rock Springs, Wyoming, who got upset with her husband because he opened his Christmas present early. So she stabbed him in the chest with a kitchen knife. Okay, <laughs> true story. Another woman in South Carolina stabbed her husband with an ornament from the tree. Okay, that's how you know it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Okay? It's not has nothing to do with the snow. It's just a good old fashioned stabbing. That's how we know. Okay, but let's read the Christmas story. Let's see what we can learn from Joseph. We'll put it on screen. You can follow along there in your notes. Matthew 1.18 says, "Now the birth of Jesus took place. Jesus Christ took place in this way." She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus." Now, I want you to see this because I've literally heard the Christmas story probably hundreds of times. If you take into account the Christmas music and advertising and all those types of things, probably thousands of times. But something uh, occurred to me this week that I'd never seen before. and uh, A couple weeks ago, and, and jo- Joseph had a problem. We see that. His fiance is pregnant. But he's not buying the story that she's selling and uh, the story that, that God asked her to give birth to his son, Jesus. I wouldn't buy it either, and listen, neither would you. Okay? But the Bible says Joseph is a righteous man and wants to do the right thing. And the angel comes to Joseph and says, your problem is you're not trying to do the right thing. What does the angel say? He says, your problem is you're a coward. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And here's the thing that really occurred to me this week in preparation. To bring Jesus into your life, to receive Jesus with all of your heart, takes courage above all. I'll say it like this, to be a Christian, to receive Christmas, it requires courage. And to be precise, I believe that Joseph had to have courage in three areas, and they are the same three areas that you will need to have courage in if you are going to receive Christ and follow Him in your life. Ironically, they spell dad, hence the title of my message, The Dad of Christmas. It's all falling into place now. Write this down. Disdain. The D of dad, disdain. If you're going to follow Jesus and accept Him as the Savior of the world, you're also going to have to accept the disdain of the world. Which this is what I love about the Bible. We get these snapshots of real, actual, historical people and their lives, and we find them acting no differently than either one of us would. Uh, Like, what, what other religious text does that? None of them. But Joseph, in his mind, resolves to end his engagement with Mary because she's pregnant, not by him. Uh, She's blemished, she's dishonored, and she is disgraced. Things back then were not all that different from how they are today. And pregnancy out of wedlock causes people to raise their eyebrows. Oftentimes it causes shame, doesn't it? That's why girls don't want to tell their parents if they find themselves pregnant. Oftentimes it causes fear. That's why we have an epidemic of abortion in this country. There's something about the whole process that regardless of your religious views, your heart inside of you says this isn't how it's supposed to be. And Joseph, he thinks, well, I'm going to be nice, I'm going to be righteous, I'm going to be just. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that Mary is about to tarnish his reputation too. Even if he marries her after finding out this news of her being pregnant, people are not stupid. They're going to know that something happened. You can do a little arithmetic. Oh, they were married on November 25th and she had a baby December 25th. That's a little ironic. And so Joseph realizes it's absolutely inevitable that Mary's life will be ruined. Even if she's not executed, which was completely plausible for her perceived infidelity, she would be cut off from her family. She would be socially marginalized. She would be poor, hungry, and destitute. And Joseph cares about that. And he doesn't want that for her. And he wants to try and keep this quiet. But he also knows that if he marries her, all of this contempt that people have in looking at unwed mothers, all of this judgment that people show, it's coming for him as well. And so he does what any guy would do. He disguises his fear as care. What Joseph is really saying is, I don't want this child in my life because if I bring this child into my life, I will get the disdain of the world. I will be marginalized. If I accept this child into my home, my life will be ruined. Have you thought about that before? That it's Joseph in that boat as well. The rumors will spread. The gossip that's going to circulate in the village. They're going to be talking about Joseph as well. They're going to say stuff like, oh, you know, that's not his his son. Can you believe he's raising that kid? If you've adopted a child or fostered a child of a different race, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've gotten the looks in the store of people wondering why your child's skin doesn't match the skin of your own. And so the first thing that we see that's true of every Christian is you cannot receive Christ into your life unless you are willing to accept, to some degree, the disdain of the world. I'm sure if you're a Christian, you've already experienced some of this. People who thought so well of you before, now they think you're insignificant. Sure, you're still a nice person, but they're not inviting you to dinner anymore. People who before thought you would be a good candidate for marriage, no longer text anymore. People who thought you'd be a good prospect for the job and a good candidate for a raise or a promotion, they now pass you up. People who used to want to hang out, no longer want to. You've changed. That's what they say. And listen to me, there will always be a danger, a tremendous danger that you'll be cut out because of your position as a a Christian. And the Bible never hides that, that you're going to get hardship in this world. And if that scares you, look at Mary and Joseph, two likely illiterate, impoverished teenagers who did receive Jesus Christ into their lives and therefore the disdain of the world. And as a result, look what happened. All the people who looked down on them. Have you ever heard of them? Do you know who they are? No, they're lost to history. But look at the two who simply had the courage to be obedient. They're celebrated. Their courage led to Christmas. That's the first thing. Joseph believing, no, 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 I'm right. I'm doing the right thing. After all, look at what she has done. I'm following the law. Deuteronomy says I ought to divorce her. And the angel comes and he says, no, you're being a coward don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Hear me. Do not be afraid to accept Christ into your life this Christmas. It will be an experience like no other. It's actually point two. The angel says don't be afraid of the adventure. Jot that down. The A of dad. Adventure. How do we get to an adventure. Well, one of the most striking things about this passage is the angel says to Joseph, you don't get to name your son. I'll tell you what to name him. And you're going to name him Jesus. That's striking because parents typically have the right to name their children. Do you know why? You know, aside from the fact that they're not going to name themselves, you know why you get to name your children, especially back then? is because you had authority over them. Uh, Naming your child is expressing your authority over the child. And this is true not just of your children. If you invent something, you get to name it. If you discover something, you get to name it. If you start a company, you name it. And if you have a child, you name it. Why? Because it's all under your authority. But the angel warns Joseph and says, if you want to receive this child into your life, This child will not come under your authority, you will be under his. You don't get to name him. So the first people first reason people don't want to accept Christ or Christmas is because they believe people will laugh at them. It's the disdain of the world. But the second reason is they don't want the adventure of his authority they wonder, if I become a Christian, will I be able to do this anymore? Will I still be able to do this? I've heard God won't let me do this as if God is trying to keep something from them. Haven't you asked some of those same questions? If you became a Christian later in your life, didn't you wonder, can I still do these types of things? And even if you were saved at an early age or a young age, wasn't there a point in your life where you were like, am I allowed to do this anymore because I want to do it. And the, the, this is why I describe following Jesus as an adventure, because Jesus doesn't often come in and answer those questions the way you think he would. And sure, there are things within the Bible that are expressly forbidden, but more often than not, Christ comes in saying, you have no idea what I'm going to ask you to do. That's why I'm the king of the world and you're not. And the reason most people like baby Jesus in a manger and not grown man Jesus wielding a sword with a crown on his head is because they're afraid of the adventure. I love C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, and in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis writes about Aslan, who's symbolic of Jesus. And, uh, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, a beaver says. Oh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, when you say, will he let me do this or will he let me do that? You're trying to name him. You're trying to make Jesus safe. He came to name you. Christ was born to tell you your purpose, not the other way around. And the reality is, how could you possibly know who you are until He comes into your life? Did you make you? Did you give yourself those talents and those life conditions and those life circumstances? And are you working all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose? Rhetorical question, no. Because listen to me, you can't be a coward when it comes to the adventure. Over 360 times in Scripture, one for every day of the week, the Bible says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Don't fear following Jesus as your king. That's the adventure. See, the world tells you to follow your dreams, but Jesus says if you follow him, your dreams will follow you. Your dreams will chase after you. God will give you the things that are for your joy and His glory. I had no idea I would be a pastor of a church one day. My wife had no idea she'd be a stay-at-home mom one day. Listen, she has a master's degree in social work. She is trained to take care of the dysfunctional families we've been talking about. It just so happened it was our own dysfunction she was training for. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? That circus falls up everywhere we go, but can't get rid of those kids but get this our life is better than we ever dreamt it would be we have amazing friends we love what we're doing that's the joy and the adventure of course following Jesus isn't safe it's not but you can't be a coward because he's good God is good Here's the last thing. This is the scariest of them all. This is why the angel says, don't be afraid because if you're going to accept Christ into your life this Christmas, if you're truly going to start following Him, you're going to have to go through the doorway of disclosure. You're going to have to disclose your sin. The angel says the reason the baby will be named Jesus is because He will save people from their sins. This takes courage to admit because what do I need saving from? I'm mainly a good person. I pay my taxes. I haven't killed anybody. I love my wife and kids. I keep to myself. God should be glad to accept me into heaven. My good far outweighs my bad. But it takes courage to admit that God owes you nothing. That by comparison to a righteous and holy God, you are not a good person. You are a helpless sinner. It takes courage to admit that you cannot save yourself. You can't live the life you should. In fact, this is the greatest courage of all. Do you have the courage to admit that you need to be saved? Do you have the courage to admit that you need to be rescued? Not helped. You don't need a helping hand. You don't need a push in the general right direction. No, you need to be liberated. Freed from the slavery of sin. Until you have the courage to say those three things, I will accept the disdain of the world. I will accept the adventure of Christ's lordship and I will disclose my sin to Him. You're living the life life of a cowardly lion. You're scared of your tail. It's at this time of the year that many people think, oh, Christmas, how lovely, how meek, how mild, how peaceful. Absolutely not. Christmas takes courage. It takes poise. It takes valor. I jokingly said earlier, what if you hopped on Ancestry.com and found out that you had royalty in your family and you had the royal blood pumping through your veins? Well, I know something you don't know. You do! If you're a follower of God, you're of noble birth. You're princes and princesses. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people. A royal Priesthood, a holy nation god 's special possession, you are special as a result, you can show others the goodness of god that 's your purpose in life for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light once you had no identity as a people, now you are god 's people once you received no mercy, but now you have received The mercy and grace of God. Can I hear a better amen somebody? Thank you. This is the message of Christmas. And it takes courage to believe that. Now there's one more thing we have to chat about before we can leave. We know how to have this courage this Christmas. We have our prescription, it's spelled dad, we're going uh, to get 30 milliliters of disdain three times a day, every day, and we're going to accept the adventure taken with a meal, and we're going to disclose our sin when it happens, but there's one thing keeping us from fulfilling that prescription. Looking back at Joseph, Joseph voluntarily identified with Mary so that her weakness and her disgrace became his. If he hadn't, do you know what would have happened? Do you know what would have happened to a single teenage, pregnant, unwed mother in that culture? You realize what Deuteronomy 22 says. The betrothed woman, or man by the way, who breaks an engagement through sex, was to be killed. And even though the Romans didn't allow Jews to do that anymore, historians will tell you that sometimes it happened. You can go on the news right now and find out that it still happens in the Middle East today. And yet, even if this doesn't happen, no one would have ever married Mary. Uh, Mary could not have gone out and found a job. There was no social welfare. She and Jesus would have been on the verge of starvation the rest of their lives. So listen, the only way for Mary to be saved was for Joseph to give up his life. That's what it means to be a Christian, to lay down your life. Write this down and then we'll close. When your heart is filled with pride, you try to write your own prescriptions. When your heart is filled with pride, you try to write your own prescriptions. The only way for your life to get better this Christmas is for you to do like Joseph and to lay down your pride. Pride is what's keeping you from accepting the disdain of the world, a world you don't belong to. Pride is what keeps you from enjoying the adventure God has planned for you. Pride is what keeps you from healing your soul by disclosing your sin. Pride is what tells you that you can keep doing things your way and one day they'll eventually get better. Pride is writing your prescription as if you're the one that's in control. What I'm begging you to see this Christmas is the only way to be saved is if Jesus did what Joseph did. If he identified with you. And catch this, he does. He lays down his life, just like Joseph. Joseph looked at Mary losing her life for God by carrying her son in her womb, and he was able to lose his life for her. Jesus does the same thing for us, he didn't have to come to this world. He didn't have to give up His glory in heaven. He didn't have to suffocate to death on a cross, choking in His own blood. But He willingly chose to. And you can choose to lay down your pride as well. And I tell you, you're not really giving up your life because Jesus will give you so much more back than you ever lost. That's the good news of Christmas, that God gives to you. I mean, why do you think the mother of God was a single, pregnant, unwed teenager? Because it's God's way of saying, I don't care who you are or what you've done, is God saying, I'm going to meet you right where you are. So, what are you afraid of? Don't be afraid to take God this Christmas. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God is speaking to you right now. Are you listening? Will you respond to the voice of God, to the experience, these blessings that God wants to give you? This is the secret to life. God is going to speak to you, He's going to prompt you. Will you respond? It's how salvation happens. God, we love You, we praise You, we worship You. We're mindful of Your Spirit right now speaking to us. God, I know You're asking some people to accept some disdain. They've been trying to control their reputation. You're asking others to enjoy this adventure. God, I just ask you to help them discover what their next steps are to laying down their pride. I just believe that there are others of you here this morning who haven't disclosed your sin to God. All the hurt that you're experiencing right now, God wants to take that off of you. He wants to give you your best life. He's just saying, confess your sin. Repent. I'll forgive you. I've got so much more for you. This is God speaking to your heart right now. I want to give you a chance to respond. To confess your sin to God. To say you're sorry. To turn back to Him. To enjoy your life, maybe like you never have before. This is a holy moment. Just in your heart say, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus, that he died for me, and that he rose from the dead. Forgive me of my sin. Lead me to you. Help me follow you. Thank you for saving me. God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the opportunity we have to hear from you. Do what only you can do. Speak to us, encourage us, bless us this Christmas. Let us have fun in our dysfunction because we get to celebrate new life in you. We love you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.